Hello again, everyone. As I said before, we are living into right now this season of Easter. And in Easter, we celebrate not just for one day, but for 50 days. It's meant as a way to kind of swallow up the Lenten season of 40 days whole in the same way that the resurrection of Jesus swallows up death whole. And so what we want to do in this season is become the kinds of people who anticipate our eventual fulfillment in Jesus when he comes and makes the world uh, right with himself finally. We are actually invited right now to live into that reality, and especially in this season to kind of take up practices that anticipate that reality. So one of those practices in particular is feasting. And not just because we fasted during Lent and now we make up for it. And we don't do it without spiritual intention either. We don't just eat more and drink more. In the same way that fasting can be done unspiritually, so can feasting. Feasting without prayer and without seasons of fasting is just gluttony. In order for feasting to be a soul-keeping and worshipful practice, it actually needs to be a rhythm. It needs to be uh, paired with other spiritual practices in order for it to be a worshipful thing. This is why the church calendar is so helpful, because in Easter, we remember that we are living in a world where Jesus has been raised, and we celebrate that by feasting. In other seasons, we remember that we live in a world where Jesus has not yet returned, and so we fast, or we live in ordinary time and take up healthy practices day after day. Feasting is meant to be done with prayer and intention, just like fasting is. But instead of prayer coupled with confession, like we do in Lent, in Easter, we feast and we pray, but we couple that with celebration. When we feast, we thank God for what he has done for us. We drink champagne to the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. That is the way in which we are meant to feast. Easter feasting is not overeating It's really serious spiritual business, and you and I are invited into that in this season together. In the season of Easter, it's pretty traditional for the liturgical church to be in the book of Acts, Um, living into a world post-resurrection. That's what we're meant to think about, and so it's really helpful to be with the disciples when this was their current reality. They were learning how to adjust to a world in which their uh, rabbi, the one that they loved, their savior, had died and then lived again. And we are invited into that as well. In Easter, we remember that Jesus ascended in his body, but he is still totally with us in spirit, and not in the sentimental sense, but in a very real sense, in the person and work of the Holy Spirit, that the gift of his presence and the gift Gifts that come from being in his presence are now available to us, no matter where we are or when we are. This season, we come to know not only who the Holy Spirit is, but who we are meant to be as a result of the Holy Spirit's presence and action in our lives. So we're going to be in this book for this season, in the book of Acts. Acts is like the genesis of the New Testament. In the same kind of effortless way in Genesis, when God created the world with spirit and words, the same thing is happening here in Acts. The spirit is once again blowing through the world and God is making things new. Jesus ascended into heaven and now we're watching in real time what happens in the life of the disciples as they form their communities in Jesus, as they share the gospel and learn how to live life with and for the spirit. Acts is 
telling a new story about this whole world and about who you and I are. That's why our theme this season is going to be a new story. As Willie Jennings, a theologian and someone we, uh, we really like and who's written a wonderful Acts commentary recently, uh, we're going to quote him a lot this season. As he says about Acts, he says, Acts is history yielding to the Spirit. Our story begins after a healing in the temple when Peter and John are going up to pray and they encounter this man and um, he's on the ground and he reaches up to Peter and he asks for, uh, he asks for money and Peter says, I don't, I don't have anything. I don't have anything that I, can, that I can give you in terms of finances, but what I can give you, I will give you. Be healed. And the man is healed and he stands up and he literally starts like walking around and leaping around the temple and it causes this kind of commotion and people are watching and amazed. And so when we pick up our text here, you'll hear the word clung. This man is clinging to Peter and John after his healing and Peter is addressing these crowds that have come around him. So we're gonna read from Acts chapter three and then I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna see what this text has for us. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's portico, utterly astonished. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, you Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. The faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Messiah appointed for you, that is Jesus, who must remain in heaven until the time of universal restoration that God announced long ago through his holy prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this season. I thank you for the Holy Spirit, for your presence with us through the Spirit, Lord. I ask now that you would send your spirit again. Would you hover over the chaos of this world and of our lives, Lord, of our hearts? Would you hover, Holy Spirit, and begin to call out something new in us to create again, Lord? Thank you for this book. Would you let us creatively, empathetically think about what it meant to be these disciples, to be these people learning to live in this new world, learning to live and love and pray to and work with the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your work, Spirit, and it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So what is happening in the book of Acts is happening in this text in a sort of microcosm. Peter is telling ancient and recent history, again, of these people and retelling it kind of yielded to the spirit as I quoted earlier from Willie Jennings. So before we dive deep into the text, I do feel like it's really important to acknowledge something when we read texts like this, where Jesus's Jewish disciples are addressing other Jewish people on sensitive matters, uh, talking about and arguing over important things. It's important for us to remember that we are listening in on a sort of family conversation. And we need to approach texts like this with great humility and honor for a group of people who changed the world. And by somehow by the grace of God, literally, we have been grafted into their story. So with all of that in mind, we approach this text with love and humility. So Peter begins this kind of retelling of history yielded to the spirit. He begins by saying, you Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Which should catch our eye immediately because this word Israelites hasn't been used in a really long time. It's not even really used in kind of later books in the Old Testament. What Peter is doing is he's making these people recall their own history by using this word. He's recalling the season of wilderness that the Jews were in long, long ago when we called them Israelites and the posture that the Israelites had towards Moses who was speaking on behalf of God. They were stubborn and they complained a lot and they refused to accept what God had done for them. He may do in the present and may also do in the future. So they lived in this kind of anxious state all the time, um, defensive and kind of pushing against God. And he's saying, you, you have done this again. Your history is repeating itself. He goes on to say, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus. And you and I should be getting kind of serious burning bush vibes in this moment. By invoking this way of talking about God, Peter is saying in the same dramatic fashion that God revealed himself to Moses to deliver his people, so did in dramatic fashion, God reveal himself through his servant Jesus. Peter goes on to say, you rejected the holy and righteous one, asked to have a murderer given to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Peter is sort of telling their story in gruesome detail to their faces. In thinking about this this week, I was reminded of another story, another person in the Bible who has their story told to them. Um, It's when Jesus met a Samaritan woman in the Gospel of John. He encounters her alone and begins to have a conversation with her. So two things to remember about Jesus is that he's, uh, he crosses boundaries and he does it in a most uh, wonderful and redeeming way. The Samaritans were enemies of the Jews. Uh, so that was one reason Jesus wouldn't ever talk to someone like this or someone like Jesus wouldn't. And then also she was a woman and men didn't talk to women who weren't their wives. Um, so, and they were alone, which just made it so scandalous. And Jesus, of course, crosses all of those boundaries for the sake of love. And he talks to this woman he asks her to draw some water for him at the well. And they get into this conversation and long story short, Jesus calls out some sins in her life in the same way that Peter does here. And it's through that moment that a door is opened for her to see him as the Messiah, as the living water. 
So a few weeks ago, I was driving to Alabama and I was out in the middle of nowhere and I passed by this cemetery and like really big in the middle of the cemetery was a statue that I, I knew I had to pull in and see what it was. Um, and so I pull in and I see that it's Jesus with the woman at the well. And so I see this in person and the closer I get to it, the more large it is and the more real life it is to me. And so I walk up close to it and I end up standing next to the woman at the well and looking into the eyes of Jesus. And the words popped into my head of what she says after this encounter. She goes and tells all of her community, I met a man who told me everything I ever did. And interestingly, and sort of unsurprisingly, uh, since then, over the last few weeks, things have been rushing into my present that are in my past uh, through random texts and emails and, you know, things like that, as, as these things kind of sometimes do. And who I used to be, what my life was for so long, all of those things have been flooding back to me. And... <laughs> to be honest, has made me very uncomfortable and um, has kind of taken up all of my brain and heart space over the last few weeks. And I'll say, like, I've, I've lived a pretty uh, virtuous life. I've never, you know, murdered anyone or had anything to feel too shameful about in my life. Um, so when these sins are rushing back to me, you know, it's not things that I, that I couldn't say out loud, you know, but um, some of these strange relationships I used to have have been brought to mind as well and um, ones that I would rather forget about and lots of moments of immaturity in myself that feel embarrassing that I would really like to forget. Um, All of these things have rushed towards me and um, I kept pushing it to the back of my mind and then in God's grace this sermon came up and now I'm like you know dealing with all of it with God and now with you Um, and I what I've realized through this text is that in order to live fully into the person that God is making me to be and has already made me and is making me into, I need to be familiar with who I used to be. And not in a shaming way, but in a redeeming way. I need to remember the old story and process those details through the lens of the Holy Spirit. It's actually an invitation for redemption for me to let Jesus meet me in my process and be the man who told me everything I ever did. And the reason is because it's how we live further and deeper into the new story that God is telling in us. So going back to our text in Acts, things kind of shift in verse 17. Peter says, and now friends, notice he calls them friends and not Israelites. And now friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But God has fulfilled his purposes through you. In other words, God has used your shortcomings, your failures, your ignorance to actually fulfill what had been spoken. God took a tragic story and turned it into a redemption story. So, Peter says, repent and turn to God, which we hear all throughout uh, the gospel story. We are invited into the new story through this word, repentance. Repentance means to come into a new way of thinking. Repentance isn't just another word for confession, although that word a lot of times goes with repentance. And it isn't just like a human commitment to change your lifestyle. It's actually the obedience of faith 
the transformation of your mind and your actions through the inner work of Jesus and the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. It's a kind of charismatic event, repentance is. Even more to the point, to repent is to change in your innermost being. What Paul is asking of these men and women is to say yes to a drastic change in their innermost selves, in the place where all of their choices and habits and thoughts and loves live out of, Peter is saying, you're invited into a new way of being, a new story. And when we, very quickly to end, when we allow this kind of change to happen within us, there are three things Peter says happens. One, our sins are wiped out, <laughs> which is a really simple way of putting a really uh, intricate thing. Um, and yet I think Peter is saying something really important here, that when we repent, it doesn't mean we're you know, totally made perfect and we come out of that situation a perfect being and now we just live in our perfectness with Jesus. What he means is when we turn and when we repent and change in our innermost being in this kind of way, there are some things we will leave behind that we never thought we could. There are things always that we will struggle with. When I'm confronted with, you know, these stories about who I used to be, a lot of those things I still struggle with. And yet a lot of them I'm able to see and say, when I changed, I left behind those things. And when I bring them to the surface, I can celebrate those things and say, Jesus, thank you for making me into this new person and telling this new story. I can actually live into it when I know the old story. Second thing Peter says happens is that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That when we repent, when we live into the redeemed story of Jesus in our lives, we are literally able to breathe easier. That we are made more free. Free from our ideas of perfection. From how we think we ought to live our lives more free from our anxiety about things, from our need to be strong and not ask for help. Jesus takes these yokes off of us and gives us a new way of being in the world that's refreshing. And the last thing he says is, so that God may send Jesus for the universal restoration. When we experience this change in our innermost being, or as Paul puts it, when we bear fruits in keeping with repentance, when we change and then our lives actually show that with our actions, we are signs of the life to come. What Peter is saying here is that universal restoration begins with ordinary people like you and me repenting. <laughs> That's how it begins. So what does this mean for us? Acts is history yielding to the Spirit. The invitation for us is, this Easter season, I believe, to let our histories yield to the Spirit, to let Jesus retell our stories. The good, the bad, the ugly, none of it is too much for Jesus. Sitting with this text, realizing what, what Peter is accusing these people of, 
killing the author of life and asking for a murderer instead, this like most deadly exchange that happens, he says, you are not too far gone for Jesus still. The one you killed, you're not too far gone for. There's nothing in you that's too dark that Jesus can't heal. There's no place you can go where Jesus can't find you and love you and heal you. Even if you're one of these people and said, crucify him, there's no place you can go. Jesus will always want to tell a better story through you. When Jesus tells your story, it isn't tragic. It isn't boring even or embarrassing. It's a new story. It's a love story. It's a redemption story. So this season as a, as a way of leaning, leaning into this truth here, but also the truth of Easter that we're meant to celebrate with our feasting, what I'm going to do is I'm going to memorize Psalm 116 and use it as my Easter prayer so that when I come to moments of feasting, I have something right off the bat that I can say and celebrate because to be honest, I'm not great at celebrating. Um, So memorizing these kinds of prayers that bring about celebration in me is going to be a really helpful practice. And I think that's true for a lot of us. So I'm going to memorize this psalm and I'm going to pray it out loud or uh, say it in my heart and just kind of have it be the track uh, that's on a loop in my mind during this season as a way to remember what God has done for me and the new story that he is telling and what I'm doing with my feasting this season. One of the verses in this psalm is, what shall I return to the Lord for all his bounty to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. So this is my Easter prayer, my Easter feasting to lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord for all that he has done for me and for the story he's telling in my life. And I invite you to do that with me. So to close in prayer, I'm gonna just read from this psalm as a way to kind of kick this off. What shall I return to the Lord for all his bounty to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful ones. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the child of your serving girl. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you a thanksgiving sacrifice and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. We'll see you in a minute for communion. God bless you.